1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Measures already in place to combat COVID-19 have been strengthened here in Toronto. On Wednesday, the city's chief medical health officer, Dr. Eileen Devilla, used her powers under the Health Protection and Promotion Act to ensure individuals with COVID-19 remain home for 14 days. She's also ordered close contacts of people with the virus to self-isolate for a period of 14 days. And in the strongest possible terms, Dr. Devilla has also ordered all Torontonians remain in their homes except for medical appointments to shop for groceries no more than once a week or to walk their dogs and get exercise. Soon after the orders were issued, Libby Snymer spoke with Margot Cameron, a nurse and clinical practice specialist at the Canadian Mental Health Association in Windsor, Ontario, and Dr. Andrew Morris, infectious disease specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network here in Toronto.
2: What we do know is that If every single person on the planet were in self-isolation for 14 days, this disease would be gone very quickly. But we know that's not realistic. So what we need to try and do is ensure that people aren't passing their germs to anyone else. And I think the most prudent thing is for everyone to assume that they may have um, COVID infection where they don't have symptoms. And so any of their behaviors where there's a chance of passing them on to somebody else is a chance that they're passing COVID-19 on to somebody else, and that's going to make our situation worse.
3: Okay, I'd like to bring in Margot Cameron. Now, at least here in Toronto, the medical officer of health said, be prepared for this to last 12 weeks. So from a mental health point of view, is it better that we are you know, getting ready for it to last 12 weeks, or or is it worse when you think, oh my God, 12 weeks, I don't know?
4: I think actually it is better, because it helps us to do something called cope ahead, where we um, have identified um, the crisis, and we know what it's about, and then we can start to develop a plan for how we're going to cope for that length of time.
3: Does it depend on, you know, what your personality is like?
4: Well, that absolutely plays a part because there are some individuals for whom more information actually increases their anxiety, while there are some individuals for whom um, the more information they have, the lower their level of anxiety. So that's where I would say you have to know yourself and gauge how much information you actually need.
3: Dr. Morris, do you feel that with these measures, uh, you know, today Eileen Davila said that she thought our trajectory was uh, alarming. Before that, it looked like we were actually doing better than the United States. What's your view of that?
2: I'm not exactly sure what alarming refers to. I think we are doing better than the United States uh, to be honest with you, and quite frank, it's hard to be doing worse than the United States. Um, <laughs> but in, ter- in terms of uh, how well we're doing and how well we're going to be able to cope, especially how well will our healthcare system cope, I still don't think we know. It's, uh, a-, a challenge has been uh, getting all the data that we need to inform us. So we need not only Toronto data, because um, Dr. Davila did show us Toronto data, but we need um, Ontario and Canadian and Canada-wide data on uh, number of people infected, number of hospitalizations, number of people in intensive care units, and number of people on ventilations, in addition to you know all the demographic information, age and uh, and uh, gender for uh, uh, all those patients. So we need to know this information, and we need to know it on a daily basis to help us understand the trajectory. At the moment, it it certainly is not a massive surge right now, but uh, the way this disease uh, spreads in other jurisdictions, you have a very slow upslope, and then all of a sudden it goes like gangbusters, and it it, it becomes that, that whole exponential growth phenomenon uh, really t- uh, takes place, and that's what we're really worried about.
3: Margot, uh, would you say that people who um, had pre-existing mental health conditions are are more at risk during this, or it kind of anybody can uh, really have a problem in the current situation?
4: Well, I would say that individuals with pre-existing mental health concerns. Um the potential uh, for the additional stress to trigger them um, can be a great concern and they need to continue to take medication if they're on medication, continue to Connect with their primary care or their um, professional supports that they might have on a regular basis, whether it's a therapist or a social worker counselor. And um, but certainly, this kind of a situation might be the trigger for someone to have an initial episode of. Um, um, mental health crisis and certainly um, if someone is feeling overwhelmed or exceptionally anxious or panicky and becomes suicidal, um, reaching out to your primary care provider, um, getting uh, to emergency if you're feeling suicidal, that would be essential.
1: Margot Cameron, a nurse and clinical practice specialist at the Canadian Mental Health Association in Windsor, Ontario. And Dr. Andrew Morris, infectious diseases specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto. They spoke with Libby Snymer on Wednesday. This is Umar Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. After our health, the other big worry with the COVID-19 pandemic is our money, Some who've lost jobs are not able to make the rent or mortgage payments and don't know how they will put food on the table. Others have been watching the retirement savings that they worked so hard to build continue to shrink with an ongoing upheaval on the markets. Who best to turn to for assistance in managing our finances? Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.com, Certified Financial Planner and Trust and Estate Practitioner.
5: The one good thing that comes out of this pandemic is that you know it's certainly woken a lot of people up to sort of look more at their defense as opposed to their offense so we're busy with meetings not in person clearly with zoom skype phone calls and uh really reaching out to our our clients and friends and 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 people who are reaching out to us just to make sure they're okay and see if they need anything um It's really just a time to you know, really focus on staying safe and secure and uh, and taking care of things you can take care of. So what is your top advice right now? Well, besides, number one, taking care of yourself and your family and making sure that, you know, you sort of tighten your belt for the next little while because it could be some time, I'd say that the, the next piece of advice is not to panic. You know, clearly people are, are panicking, and we see that in the markets uh, with their very volatile dips and there's a tendency for people to want to, you know, sell off and cash in. But just know, you know, you can't fix a ship during a hurricane. And we've been through this before. And it seems that we've always bounced back and, and in some terrible situations from 9-11 to SARS to uh, 2008. So hold the fort. The next thing is doing what you can do. And for this, there's lots you can do from home. And this is really, in my mind, it's around getting things organized in your life. And that's really around things like estate planning. That is something that you can do right now, Libby. And I would suggest that the top of the list would be making sure people have up-to-date wills and powers of attorney in place. You can do this with a phone call with a lawyer and, you know, there are services available that we are very happy to help listeners uh, get connected to. We also suggest getting an estate planning uh, or an estate directory together, just getting a list of where all your assets are, your wills, your powers of attorney, the keys to the safety deposit box, uh, digital passwords. We have a a PDF, writable PDF at our website that's free that you can download and fill it all out, make sure somebody knows where that is. And then the third thing that I think is really important is that people should be reviewing their insurance, their life insurance. Some people that's, you know, they don't have insurance or they don't have enough. They were counting on the markets to sort of take care of their families or interest rates. So right now it's uh, it's something that people are reviewing and and the good news is it's never easier to acquire it.
3: Mark, you were saying that getting insurance is uh, very easy and has never been easier. How so?
5: Well, everybody thinks about getting insurance where they have to have a meeting in person with an advisor in their office or your home, and you have to have a nurse come to see you to take you know medicals like blood and urine, etc. But now, uh, and this has been around for a while, uh, people can get up to a million dollars of life insurance uh, with no medical. And no visits from uh, an advisor or for a nurse. And if you qualify... These types of policies, which are very inexpensive, can actually be issued and underwritten within 72 hours. The same applies for critical illness insurance. People are concerned about getting sick, and they can get up to $250,000 of critical illness insurance. So, you know, people should look into that. We have more of that information available if you send me an email to mark at wealthinsurance.com, or you can call our offices, 416-364-2929, we're very. Uh, we'd be very happy to get you information, and it would require a ten-minute phone call, believe it or not, to get coverage to protect your family or for your business or uh, or for for other considerations.
3: Uh, let me ask you this: If you get one of these policies that are uh, relaxed. Uh, Will will they come back when this is all over and say, okay, now we have to go back and, and do those tests?
5: No. Nope. once the, It's a completely unilateral contract, which means once you've been approved for the insurance, you're covered. You would also be covered for for the uh, the virus, the COVID right now, um, providing you didn't have any symptoms and you've been in isolation for at least two weeks. Um, and that's the, that's the case for all insurance policies in the first two years. You know, they, they, they do underwriting, so they check to make sure that you're, you're, you're acceptable. But, uh, certainly everything, the insurance companies are there to pay out that in case, God forbid, something should happen. So it's a good thing to give a person peace of mind knowing that they have this in place for their families.
1: That was Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.com, certified financial planner and trust and estate practitioner. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. You've probably wondered if your favorite restaurant will survive the pandemic. And what about the futures of family members and friends who work in the industry? A sobering study of the situation was released this past week by Restaurants Canada. It's estimated 800,000 food service jobs have already been lost across the country. Four out of five restaurant owners have already laid off staff. 10% of restaurants have closed permanently. And another nearly 20% of owners say they will shut down in a month if this continues. On Thursday, Libby was joined by James Roulette at Restaurants Canada and Kevin McDougal of We Cater to You, a family-run catering service in Liberty Village just down the street from us here at the Zoomerplex.
6: So we've unfortunately had to lay uh, half of our team off at the moment. We do have a catering portion of our business which has maintained uh, some of our staff, but if we were to rely on retail traffic or walk traffic only, we'd probably be we closed right now. the The uh, retail portion of the business is down about ninety five percent. Some days we don't sell anything uh, due to working from home or stay at home. We are a uh, lunchtime establishment, so most of our traffic is lunchtime uh, people walking.
3: Uh, let's bring in James Roulette. Uh, so, uh, tell me a bit about your survey. Those are huge numbers that you put out.
7: Yeah, it's, we knew the industry was, it was dire in the industry, but uh, these were pretty stark numbers we're seeing.
3: How close are so many restaurants, uh, you know, to the edge that, that you've had so many close already
7: permanently? <sighs> Well, I think we had a compounding uh, uh issue is that it was a long winter people were, were you know you, you collect bills over the winter and you look forward to things like St. Patrick's Day and the opening patio season to pay a lot of those bills and then when that doesn't happen and then you you only see that you're going to have expenses uh in the next month or so I think a lot of people say, I just, I can't dig out of this hole. So um, I think that's what you're seeing right now is uh, one in 10 have said, I don't think I can go on. And uh, a further 18% say, uh, I don't, I might not make it another month.
3: Yesterday, the government unveiled a a rescue package for all businesses. Uh, It's a wage subsidy of up to 75%. Uh, To a maximum of $58,000, but that money won't flow for six weeks. What's your reaction to that,
7: James? Well that helps uh, you know it's something you could look forward to if you're open uh, over half the restaurants are currently closed, so they would have no wages to subsidize anyway um, so, but yeah it, every little bit helps. Um, I think what we're really looking for is some immediate help uh, to get capital flowing so that a lot of these places can pay their bills and and maintain the uh the business until they're allowed to reopen
3: Kevin. Is there anything that's coming out of Ottawa that could help you out in your situation, either the wage su- subsidy or uh, loans being made available?
6: Uh, the wage subsidy, obviously, like James said, uh, it does help a little. Everything helps because uh, we are dependent on cash flow. The deferred uh, tax collection, that was uh, that's a major help, just be able to keep cash flow going. And obviously, uh, like James was just saying, loans, if there w- was loans available or became easily available because with restaurants, loans are not that easy because it's a high-risk industry. So banks don't typically like to lend money <laughs> to restaurants. So if there was a leniency towards that to keep cash flow going, it would be a lot more helpful.
3: James Roulette, have you done any figuring on on how to help your members? I mean, tw- 12 weeks is, is what they're saying, at least in Toronto
7: yeah well that's that's the problem is right now we're we're constantly re rerunning the numbers based on what the new scenario is day to day um but yeah we we see even your bigger chains i think are going to start showing strain um they may be heavily leveraged they may have a lot they typically have a lot higher rents and uh I think you're going to see a lot more strain quickly I don't know uh, what can be done in the very short term, but uh, hopefully enough people are able to stick it out uh, using some of those uh, tax deferrals that uh, were mentioned uh, to keep cash flow until the the uh, the six weeks goes by and we can get some of that other uh, assistance coming in.
3: James, is there anything else that uh, you are trying to get going for your members so they get through this?
7: Uh, well, rent is the first thing and, and we we had, big, uh, push, uh, problem just a couple days t- yesterday, um, with people trying to dig up rent, um, uh, get just to get by. I think we're going to ha- face that again, uh, in a month, um, it, even more so now that people have been at without, uh, without any uh, revenue for six weeks. So, uh, if any, if the governments can do anything on the rent side, uh, I think that's going to be the next major problem.
3: Kevin, uh, before we go, is that an issue for you?
6: If for, for us it's just cash flow, pretty much to stay afloat, we need that uh, support from our community and customers to keep it coming in. Um, the rent definitely would definitely be a big help too, because that will be a problem uh, as time goes on for sure.
1: Kevin McDougal of We Cater to You, a family-run catering service here in Liberty Village, and James Roulette at Restaurants Canada. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. On Thursday, Toronto's mayor called on the police chief to start an enforcement blitz cracking down on people who continue to gather in groups in public places despite emergency orders. Hours later, Chief Mark Saunders publicly backed John Tory's proposal. There's also a new provincial law mandating we must identify ourselves to police and special constables. Refusing to do that carries a $750 fine. And the penalties for flouting some of the other emergency measures run as high as half a million dollars. But what about our civil liberties? Libby asked this question of Michael Bryant, Executive Director and General Counsel at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association.
8: It's totally unprecedented and extraordinary. And uh, uh, it's a time in which our Constitution is really getting tested. And our governments are... Uh, slowly but surely behaving uh, closer to what uh, takes place in China, which disturbs us in Canada because, uh, obviously, civil liberties are not respected there. So really, the, 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 the big question uh, for all of these Uh, government orders when when it's an order so in other words when the government makes a decision and they've created a new law is uh, are they just making it up or do they have a a statute or a piece of legislation that allows them to do that and and so far so good they've been doing that Uh, secondly is it based on fear or is it is there um, some grave necessity uh, is it driven by public health, in other words, as opposed to politics? And so far, most of the measures, although you could argue uh, they're they're part fear part part uh, public health so far, they seem to be meeting that test and then really, it just boils down to proportionality. you know, is it necessary for uh, the number to be restricted to Um, say, five uh, congregating in public or 10 or 3 or 50. It used to be, remember, it was 50 not that long ago and it was 200 in in the United States. So those are the tests. Is it uh, uh, grounded in law? Is it necessary? And is it proportionate? The one that we're we're most concerned about is what looks like carding, you know, where the police stop and um, the search people ask them for their information, not because... Uh, they've witnessed them committing uh, an emergency management offense, but because they just don't like the looks of them. They just, they got a hunch. And uh, we know from the uh, study that was done by Mr. Justice Tullock a couple of years ago, uh, which was accepted by the Ontario government, uh, this one, the one that's currently in power, that carding is notoriously ineffective and unreliable. It violates people's privacy and rights, and it tends to result in Uh, Non-Caucasian people, uh, Indigenous people, Black, um, uh, uh, other racialized minorities, mentally ill people and alcoholics and addicts on the streets, they tend to be the target of this information being gathered. And um, under the circumstances, we say it's not necessary because the police already have the power to get information from people upon arrest. So if you're not arresting them, then why are you asking them for their information? And our concern is that that's disproportionate. We're going to have to see how exactly it's being used. Uh, if people are getting information, are being asked for police for information in circumstances where they think that it doesn't make any sense that they'd be asked, if it's actually happening, uh, please, we're, we're trying to gather that information. You And people can email us at covid19 at dot org. Uh, now, we have actually at CCLA a lot of Zoomers, a lot of Zoomers as our members. Uh, and uh, you know, most of our donations come by checks and most of our literature is sent out uh, by post. Uh, it's, it's, it, so I, I realize I'm asking people to engage in emailing uh, to an audience that uh, more likely uh, may not want to do that. But uh, I think everybody's having to get a lot more Uh, literate online as a result of all this.
1: Michael Bryant, Executive Director and General Counsel at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Joy in Markham, who phoned to say she's a frontline healthcare worker and a lot older than 65.
4: You would be shocked to know that I'm currently a PSW. My birthday in May, I'll be 77. I've been on the frontline a um, couple of weeks ago, uh, taking temperature and all that. But my main source of work is to help the elderly, especially the Alzheimer's, the dementias and all that. So, you know, it, it's a very challenging job at age, my age, which, you know, I'm proud of and I'm still able to go out. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready right now to go to my job here. I am still standing and is able to give of myself myself to those who cannot help themselves, and I'm prepared to fight this COVID. I guarantee a lot of nursing homes would love to
1: have me on their staff. Thanks for calling in, Joy, and take good care. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.